0: Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing the forgiveness of sins. This is God's Word. Uh, it is such
1: a joy for me to uh, be back and to be invited by Matt to preach. I count it a great honour to preach to you here. It's great to see you the faces of uh, old friends, many old friends. And um, you need to know that I left this church because I realised that by staying I was holding you back. I needed to give this man the opportunity to build the team, and I'm thrilled with what he and the team are doing here at this church. Uh, It's wonderful hearing the music, although I've still to work out how such a small girl can hit the drums so hard. (laughs) But um, it was one of my better decisions to to leave and let Matt and the team here grow the work here. Well, whether you're new to Christian things and perhaps confused by all this, familiar with Christian things, we have a wonderful passage to look at tonight. Let's just bow our heads and ask God to help us to understand it. Dear God, thank you for the Bible. Uh, We do pray that whether we're very new to Christian things, perhaps a bit uh, cynical and unsure about being here, or very familiar with Christian things, perhaps been Christians for, for decades, we pray that you would speak to each one of us through your word now, that we would hear, understand and be willing to respond. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, if you've already started your series in Colossians, uh, then uh, you've already understood a little bit of what Colossians is uh, about. Uh, You'll know that Paul was writing uh, from uh, prison uh, to a church in Colossi, uh, which is in what what is now Western Turkey. Uh, He'd never actually met them. If you read on in the letter, you find he hasn't met them. But while he is in prison, a man called Epaphras, who was their founding pastor, has come to see him and has explained the situation in Colossae. And Paul writes this letter back to the church that he's heard of through Epaphras and Anesipus and perhaps some others who come from the town of Colossae. And at the moment, the church is standing firm. As you read the description, um, you, you find they are standing firm in faith. In fact, uh, in last week's passage, the, uh, the apostle Paul praises God that... Uh, uh, they clearly are genuine Christians, marked by faith, love, and hope. Uh, they've heard the uh, uh, the genuine gospel, the gospel of God's grace, of what God has done for us in Jesus, from a genuine Bible teacher, Epaphras, uh, who taught them about Christ. Uh, but you may also have discovered last week that in chapter two we we discover that there are some false teachers in town who are uh, peddling a different kind of message. Uh, they're promoting some kind of mix, a uh, mysterious and perhaps exciting mix of human ideology, religious asceticism and spiritual visionary experiences uh, which are suggesting to the Colossians that what they've heard about Jesus is okay from Epaphras, it's got them started, but, but there's so much more, if only they'd join this new movement, their movement, that their experience of God would be so much deeper and richer and fuller and so uh, the apostle writes this letter to say, having met Epaphras, he says, no, what you've heard from Epaphras is the truth, it's the gospel that's growing all over the world. And let me tell you, you don't need, need anything other than Christ, because Christ is all you need. He is the fullness of God in a man. And so the whole letter is about the supremacy and the fullness of Jesus Christ. So in fact, when he's finished this bit about his prayers, what's the first subject he'll talk about in chapter 1, verse 15, following? The supremacy of Christ. And the rest of the letter, the whole letter is full of how great Christ is. To persuade the Colossians, you don't need to go anywhere but Jesus. Grow deeper and taller and stronger in him. Explore everything about Christ. For the fullness of God is known in him. So that's the, the context. He's writing to tell the Colossians, Stand firm. Don't believe everything that other people tell you, especially when they invite you to join their movement that will top up on Christ. Add to Christ all you needs in him. And now we come to a further report of what he prays for them. So verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, so having heard about you from Epaphras, having heard about you we're praying for you now it's very striking that he says since the day we heard about you we've not stopped praying is the church in crisis no actually the church is not in crisis you read in chapter 2 he's delighted at how firm their faith is how orderly they are actually the church is standing strong see the apostle doesn't pray doesn't wait to pray for a church until the church is in crisis he prays preventatively it's a bit like taking aspirins when you're flying. You know you're supposed to take aspirins, well certainly at my age, you're supposed to, to take, I don't know, 20, 30 aspirins or something, before you fly, so that you don't get deep vein thrombosis. Apparently it thins the blood or something. You see, there's no point in taking the aspirins after the flight because you're already dead from DVTs, okay? You're supposed to take them beforehand. And you find that with the Apostle Paul. He doesn't just pray for churches that are in crisis, He prays for churches that are presently standing firm. He prays preventatively that they will remain firm in Christ. It's very striking when you read how he prays for the other churches that he writes to in the New Testament. Uh, In uh, Romans 1, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. To the Corinthians, chapter 1, I always thank God for you. Ephesians 1, ever since I heard about your faith, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. To the Philippians chapter 1, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. In Thessalonians 1, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. And now Colossians 1, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. I think the apostle wants to demonstrate to to the Colossians, pray for each other. This is what to pray for each other. And don't wait till there's a crisis. Pray now for each other. Perhaps for you here at Christchurch Mayfair, don't wait till you hear of news that Christians and churches are collapsing. Pray for faithful Christians and churches now. Pray for this church. Pray for one another now, while you're still firm. Pray for the other churches of commission. Pray for us all. Pray for the other faithful churches in London and this country. Pray preventatively. Not after they've collapsed and fallen apart in division. Well, what does he pray for? He says, We've not stopped asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know this language of filling you? You see, it would appear that the false teachers were saying, Oh, we'll fill you up with spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Apostle Paul will not surrender that to the false teachers. He's saying, No, I pray for you. We always pray for you that God will fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You don't need to join some kind of super hyper movement to pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding. We all pray that for each other, don't we? That God will fill us up. What he's going to explain in his letter is that to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding is found in getting to know Jesus better through the scriptures. That's how you become filled up with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what's that for? Verse ten. See, this is the slight, I think, correction to the false teachers. Verse ten, and we pray this in order that you might be terribly, terribly clever, be very, very arrogant, and make everybody else feel inadequate because you know so much. Oh, sorry, that actually doesn't say that, does it? Verse ten, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please Him in every way. Paul says, we want you to be full of knowledge, that you might live a life worthy. Of the, Lord. the purpose of knowing Jesus Christ through the Bible is not to be clever. It's not to show off how much you know and to make everybody else feel inadequate. Sometimes people who know their Bibles well have that reputation, don't they? They show off. That's not what knowing Christ and the Scriptures is for, but to live a life worthy of the Lord. I trust that this is a congregation that doesn't study the Bible in order to conquer books. Done one, Samuel. We're doing Colossians at the moment. Did Romans last year. Tick that. Know all about that. We don't conquer books. We don't know the Bible for its own sake. We want to know Christ through the scriptures that we might know how to live lives that are worthy of him. Worthy of him as to bring him honor and credit as appropriate such a great saviour, to please the Lord, not pleasing ourselves, but to learn how to please him, to learn what pleases him. And now the apostle explains what that involves with what he prays. May please him in every way, and then he uses four infinitives, four ways of speaking that show the kind of things that are a life worthy of the Lord. What do you mean, Paul? What is a life worthy of the Lord Jesus? Well, here are the four things that he prays. Bearing fruit in good works, growing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power to endure, thankful for qualification to inherit. Those are the four things. Live a life like this, and you're living a life that pleases the Lord and is worthy of him. In other words, it's a prayer for faith, for fruitfulness, for knowledge, for power, And for thankfulness. Let's look at each in turn. They're little phrases, wonderful phrases. And I think Paul is uh, showing us what to pray for each other. Pray this for me if you have a spare moment. Pray this for each other. But also to nurture and accept these things in your own life. This is what a life worthy of Jesus looks like. Firstly, bearing fruit in good works. He's already reported in his thanks to God. Uh, In verse 6 of chapter 1, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit. And he now prays for that fruitfulness in the Colossians themselves. In other words, the natural product, the characteristic harvest of sound doctrine, of good Bible teaching, is good works. In other words, the origin, if you want good works in your life, you'll need sound knowledge of Jesus through the Bible. And you'll see the effect of sound knowledge of Jesus in the Bible in a life of good works. Now, good works is the summary phrase that Paul often uses for the Christian life. He says we were created for them in Ephesians. And he says the Bible thoroughly equips us for them in 2 Timothy 3. A life of good works, beginning with faith in Christ, is the life that is worthy of the Lord. And so you need both sound doctrine and teaching and then you need to express that teaching in works of service of other people. I once had a brilliant illustration. Uh, it's illustration number 10, if, if you've uh, heard me teach before. Um, it's, you may know that in Palestine, in uh, Israel, there are three lakes. There's Lake Galilee in the middle. To the north of Lake Galilee, there's Lake Hule. And to the south of Lake Galilee, there's the Dead Sea. Now, Lake Hulay is nearly always dry because as soon as the rain falls in the area, uh, the rain just kind of dribbles away down to to Lake Galilee and it's almost permanently empty and dry. It's just got output. There are no other rivers feeding into it. So any rain just disappears straight down to to, to Lake Galilee. Uh, Below Lake Galilee is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is always full of salts and deposits and poisons and nothing can live in it Uh, because it's got no output there are no exits from the Dead Sea all the silts and all the uh, chemicals all arrive in Dead Sea and poison the Dead Sea you may have been there you can sort of float in the salt it's so uh, thick with salts that you can actually float virtually on the surface of the water it's only Lake Galilee that both has input and output that is uh, fresh water with a thriving fishing industry that feeds off it And I've always thought that's a really good illustration of what the Apostle's talking about here. You see, if you're always output, if you're just working, 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 but don't have any spiritual input, if you're not hearing the Bible, if you're not reading the Bible and praying for yourself, you'll run dry. You will feel dry, you will be dry spiritually. Because all you're doing is lots and lots of activity, but there's no sound doctrine coming in. On the other hand, at the other extreme, if you've got lots of sound doctrine coming in, You know, you're hearing so much teaching, you're reading so many books, but you're not serving anybody in good works. You can become a very poisonous person. Very critical, poisonous, horrible to be around. You know so much and give so little. But the way to be spiritually fresh is to have both input and output. To hear good teaching, read your Bible, read good books, know Jesus in the scriptures, and output to serve. And a person like that God's fishing industry prospers well. So you see, we need to be bearing fruit in good works, in practical holiness. Let's pray for each other. We'll both be learning the scriptures and putting them into practice, serving in good works. One of the things I've noticed about the congregations I've served in over the years is that the natural fruitfulness of of Bible teaching applied to people's lives is good works. In the church where I serve, in, in Wimbledon, in Dundonald, uh, the people of the congregation have volunteered all kinds of ministries. They're never asked or suggested to them. There's an options crisis pregnancy ministry. There's uh, people who got involved in a cap uh, poverty debt reduction ministry and in counselling um, some people are now involved in prison ministry. Some other people are distributing food in Victoria. I never asked any of them to do it. They just want to do it. They keep volunteering. Somebody else has started a ministry to the elderly. What do you it see is it's bearing fruit in good works. Teaching the Bible in the expectation that people will actually live by it produces good works. And that's what we need to pray for each other. You to pray for each other here to bear fruit in practical holiness, fruitfulness. That's the first thing, to pray for each other. Secondly, growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, having reported already in chapter 1 his great thanks to God for the gospel growing all over the world, in verse 6, just as it has been doing amongst you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. Paul now says that he prays for the Colossians that they will keep growing. In other words, keep growing all their lives. Not just growing in the knowledge of Jesus when they became a Christian, but constantly growing. The great temptation, of course, is to rest upon those early days, perhaps those exciting, heady days when we first became Christians. It's so exciting, isn't it? When when the mist clears and you finally see Jesus in all his glory and you realise that he loves you so much that he died for you on the cross. It's so exciting. You can't get enough of him. You're reading your Bible, you're praying like crazy, you're telling everybody. so exciting those early days. But as the years roll by, you can sort of constantly live on the past. You can almost stop growing. Sometimes, with some people, you can tell when they became a Christian by the date of their, the books on their bookshelf. Haven't bought any books since the first year they became a Christian. And the Apostle prays, you see, that people will keep growing in their knowledge of God. And of course, knowledge includes intellectual knowledge. It's more than intellectual, but it's not less than intellectual. The knowledge of God is relational. But our relationship with God grows as we learn the scriptures, as we get to know God well in the Bible. And sadly, some Christians are a bit like Peter Pan Christians. They never want to grow up. They never want to mature. They seem to want to stay silly all their lives. And sometimes you meet people who've been Christians for many, many years, and it's so sad they're as childish now as they were 20 years ago. The Apostle says, pray for one another that we'll keep growing in the knowledge of God. So it's worth us asking, isn't it? Are we still growing? Have we measured our height uh, recently? I've got uh, five children for my sins. Well, actually, not for my sins. I've got five children. And um, uh, it's great watching them all grow up. They just get taller and taller. I've just been out to see one. He's away. He's a lot taller than me. And it's great watching kids grow and mature. How's your growth chart in spiritual things? What are you reading at the moment? Have you progressed from uh, just simple pamphlets? Are you reading any decent books yet? Are you reading the Briefing Magazine and the Evangelicals Now newspaper to stay up to date? Have you read any decent biographies recently? Have you got yourself a proper study Bible now? Uh, perhaps a Bible dictionary to read along with your uh, Bible study. Perhaps when you're about to, to, to start reading a book in the Bible, you'll read the summary chapter in the, in the Bible dictionary. Are you serious about growing in your knowledge? You don't want to stay a baby Christian. You want to grow in your knowledge of God. to Grow up and mature. That's the second thing the apostle prays. So after fruitfulness, growing in knowledge. Thirdly, strengthened with all power to endure. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. To be strengthened by God, of course, means to be strengthened by the Spirit of Christ within us. Uh, it's to seek his strength in prayer, to accept the strength that his word gives us. Is to actually trust in the things that he promises. Is to actually do some of the things that he tells us to do. To be strengthened by him is to allow him to shape the way we live. And so to be strengthened to live his way. How will we be strengthened? According to his glorious might that is you think how powerful i mean how powerful is god do you think the supreme being the creator of the universe how strong do you think he is do you think he could give you some strength do you think he's strong enough to help you live the christian life of course he is of course he is if you'll allow him to strengthen you to live for him what to strengthen you to do what is it to jump over buildings in a single bound is it to perform magic tricks What do you need strength for? The answer, of course, is for endurance. For endurance and patience in the Christian life. You see, much more powerful than somebody performing a few magic tricks is somebody who keeps serving Jesus despite the cost year after year after year after year. That is a miracle. That somebody is still a Christian after 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. As we're praying each of us will be. That is a miracle. That's what you need all the power of God for, just to keep going. I, I, I came here in, in a bit of a rush from a, a previous um, congregation where we've just ordained a Korean pastor. Uh, the Koreans are, are so enriching our life in our church and uh, throughout commission because some of these Korean guys, they actually believe what the Bible says. It's amazing. And uh, you, you see what God's power will do in people's lives. The way they pray. It's not five minutes it's five hours. And the, th- the way they do their evangelism, you know, out in public. I mean, w- one of the pastors in this Korean church, he's been arrested so many times nobody can count. You know, he turned up at the Eiffel Tower. What, what, who's been to the Eiffel Tower? Ta- I've been to the Eiffel Tower. Well, what do the Koreans do when they went to the Eiffel Tower? They set up under the Eiffel Tower with the guitars, start playing the guitar and preaching the gospel. He's been arrested in Turkey and sent home. Why? They keep going. They just won't stop. I mean, he couldn't be with us, this pastor, because he's planting churches in India. He's he's too sick at the moment. But he won't stop. What is that? That's the power of God in the man. The endurance to keep going to the end. That's the third thing that the apostle prays for the Colossians. And we should pray for one another that we might strengthen with all power to endure, to keep going through the difficulties of living for Jesus in London. I know it's hard in London, isn't it? Often when you feel you're one of the only Christians in London, perhaps nobody else in your office, nobody else in your lecture class, nobody else in your hospital believes in Jesus. Perhaps you think you're the only one. Actually, you're not the only one. God has his people scattered everywhere. But it is hard standing up for Christ. So seek Christ's strength to endure from the one who went to his death on a cross. Strengthened with all power to endure. And fourthly, thankful for qualification. Thankful for qualification to inherit. Do you see verse uh, uh, 12 or end of verse 11? And joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. To be a Christian is to be filled with joy, even when life is tough and hard. To be constantly thankful. That's why we sing so much. It's, it's quite a shock, isn't it, when you become a Christian, you come along to a church, and everybody's always singing, and you think, what's all this singing about? Well, we can't help it, I'm afraid. It's just we're really very glad that Jesus has saved us, even when things are tough, filled with gratitude and joy and thankfulness. It's, it's interesting, it's part of being a pagan before you become a Christian that you're very resentful to God. And you kind of somehow think that God owes you. But when you become a Christian and you realize how much he's done for us in Jesus, oh, our hearts are filled with joy, aren't they? Now, the, the false teachers uh, were constantly, chapter 2, verse 14, disqualifying them. Uh, the false teachers were, were saying that the, these Colossians were disqualified, They didn't have enough for heaven. And the apostle is saying, his, no, Christ has qualified you for heaven. Let me try and explain that uh, a little more. Uh, let me tell you a story, try and illustrate this. Um, his his little light relief. Imagine a uh, highly respected and very successful manager of a factory. And he invites three of his apprentices uh, onto the uh, one-year uh, trainee management scheme. And it's an opportunity, really, to qualify uh, for junior management in the company. Well, the three uh, young guys uh, turn up, uh, there is Matt, who is um, something of a clubbing fanatic, and uh, rather one for the ladies, uh, Matt. Uh, and then there is um, uh, Richard. Uh, well, he's a sort of rebellious uh, character. He thinks the whole thing's stupid, but he comes along anyway. Uh, and then there is Simon, who is the um, delightful son of the manager. Well, anyway, Matt, Richard, and Simon turn up on the first day of the apprenticeship scheme, and the boss walks in. and says, right, lads, uh, I just want to explain to you what we're doing here. I'm giving each of you a box file with your name on it. Uh, what I want you to do is to uh, prepare me a report in your own time, during the coming year, I want you to write reports, studies. I want a well-presented document by the end, 500 pages, not less than 500 pages, of what you've learned about management during this year. Is everybody clear? Are you all clear, lads? And we all said, yeah, absolutely clear. Fantastic, you see. Right, let's get to work. And off they go. Well, as the year progresses, as you might expect, uh, Matt was um, partying every weekend, and it was pr- obvious he wasn't doing very much work in his own time. Uh, Richard thought it was, the whole thing was rather stupid and just produced a few scrappy bits of paper, and uh, Simon worked hard at his reports and was soon accumulating a whole uh, a set of, of papers. Well, the year progressed and uh, Simon noticed the other two weren't really working very hard. He offered to help them. He said, "Lads, you need to get on. You know, time is going. Uh, you know, my dad's not going to look very kindly. You haven't got anything in your file yet." Time went on. Time went on. Simon was worrying more and more. Came close to last weekend before the year was up. Uh, Matt, true to form, "Oh no, I haven't done anything. I'm going to work all night." He said, "I'm going to work all night." Uh, throughout the weekend, and I'm going to produce 500 pages, but his friends rang up, got dragged out to a party. Nothing got not, nothing got done yet again. Uh, with Richard, well, he was similar. Was whole stupid thing, he scribbled a few things and then thought that was a waste of time. And he knew he'd blown it. He knew he'd blown it. And uh, Simon, of course, had, had finished his file. So anyway, the three lads came in on the Monday morning, and uh, as Matt and Richard came into the uh, to the manager's office, they thought we've blown it. We're bound to be uh, out on our ear now. Rather surprised, the manager greeted them cheerily. Uh, Matt, Richard, how good to see you. Come in, lads. Uh, I've had a look at your files, Uh, I have to say. That is outstanding work. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, I have to say I was a bit surprised, but uh, well done, boys. I've got great uh, hope for your future. Uh, Brilliant work. two guys sit down, look in their box files, totally stunned. Manager turns to Simon and says, But as for you, son, you're a disgrace. I expected so much better of you, and I feel very, very disappointed. You've let me down. I'm sorry, but I'm a man of my word. You'll have to go. Well, Simon and Richard, uh, sorry, uh, Richard and Matt are looking at Simon thinking, "What is going on? They can't believe it. As Simon walks out of the office with his, his box full of things, Simon looks at both of them and gives them a mysterious wink. They open their box files, and there are 500 pages of beautifully presented reports. And on the top, there's a little note from Simon. Thought you could do with a bit of help from a friend. Yours, Simon. You see, what had happened was that Simon had done the work for the other two. He put it in their box files, and so they qualified for the junior management. Simon was out in his ear, in disgrace. Though there's a happy ending to the story, because three days later, the manager discovered what Simon had done. and was so impressed with what he'd done for his mates that he actually made him chief executive. And ever since then, Richard and Matt have been very glad to work for him. (laughs) Now, I notice that your Simon Pedley here rather likes that story. (laughs) What I'm trying to illustrate with that story is that Christ lived the Christian life we haven't lived. In our different ways, we've lived rubbish lives, haven't we? One way or another, we've offended God, we've mistreated other people. We haven't done what God wanted us. So Christ did it for us. He lived the life that we haven't lived and died the death that we deserve. He was out on his ear in disgrace on the cross. But three days later, the Father raised him to be chief executive of heaven and earth. And that's why we're so glad to work for him. We've been qualified by him to work in the company. We've been qualified by Christ to share in the inheritance of the Son. And that's why we love working for him. And that's why we're full of joy, because he's done it all for us. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. So there are the four characteristics that the apostle prays for the Colossians, and what he wants them to pray for each other, and therefore what we should pray for each other and for other Christians. That we might be fruitful, bearing fruit in good works. That we might be knowledgeable, growing in the knowledge of God. That we might be powerful, strengthened with all power to endure. That we might be thankful, thankful for qualification to inherit. But the reason behind the whole lot comes in verse 13. Here's the overwhelming motivation for pleasing the Lord in this way. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do You see, we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness, that is the darkness of sin and Satan and death. We've been brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, freedom the forgiveness of sins, the pardon of all that we've done wrong. Live like somebody who belongs to the kingdom of the son he loves. Don't live like someone who belongs to the dominion of darkness from which you've been rescued at great cost. Let me finish by just uh, explaining something that I, I happened to be a couple of weeks ago now. A young man came to talk to me. Uh, he recently got married to a lovely girl, terrific girl. But he confessed to me that he was still addicted to hardcore pornography. And he came to talk to me about the issue. He was so ashamed, so depressed, so miserable uh, to still be captured by this miserable addiction. And so we talked uh, about what it means to be a Christian. And uh, what I found helpful in talking to him was to say, look, you were living in a miserable and disgusting cell called the dominion of darkness you lived in that jail with all its filth and darkness and although people try to pretend that it's an exciting place to be it's not actually is it it's not it's a miserable place some of you are still living it all of us have lived in it at some time to live under the dominion of darkness is a horrible place to be that dark cell where we are kept awaiting the death sentence and because Jesus Christ loves you and me so passionately, on that cross, having become one of us, he swapped places with us. And there he paid the price to open the door of the cell. He opened the door of the cell. And he came into the cell and has led us out by the hand, out of the dominion of darkness, into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun, loved by God. And I said to my friend, why do you want to, having having come out of that dark cell, that dungeon, and all the filthy misery that it brings, why do you want to walk back in there? Because we do sometimes, don't we? We walk back into the cell. We settle down in that filthy darkness all again. And it's miserable. We feel miserable. It is miserable. But the door has been opened. The difference now is the door is permanently open." And so you can walk out from that cell and live a life worthy of the Lord. And perhaps if you're sitting in the misery of that darkness at the moment, looking out, and you can see that out there in the light is the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you. The door is open. Why would you sit in there any longer? Come out. Come out of that darkness and live in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you will, all of us do it. We all go back into the cell from time to time. And Jesus keeps calling us out. Come out from the dominion of darkness. Live in the kingdom of the Son he loves. And one day when he returns, he'll lock the door behind us and we'll be free forever. So having been brought out of that darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves, live a life worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in good works, growing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power to endure and thankful for his qualification to inherit. Let's bow our heads and pray together. can, Can I suggest that perhaps in a change to our normal practice why don't you not pray for yourself? Why don't you pray for everybody else here that these things might be true for them? Let's have a moment of quiet as we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that we have heard your voice speaking very clearly through this passage tonight. We do ask that you'd help us to pray for one another, that we might be filled with knowledge of your will, that we might live lives worthy of you. And for one another tonight, we would pray that we would all be fruitful in good works, that we would be knowledgeable, growing in our knowledge of you, that we be powerful, strengthened by your power within us to endure to the end, and thankful, thankful for qualification to be part of your kingdom in eternity. Father, for any of us who've gone back into the misery of darkness, help us now to come out, to come out of that miserable, filthy existence into the glorious light of living lives worthy of the Lord. We pray that for one another, that we might be a church, that this might be a congregation, that the commissioned churches, that all your people across London and further afield might live lives worthy of your name. For we ask it for your glory alone. Amen.